You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Hi, welcome back to Herd Tell. Thrilled at this one. This is going to be fun. Uh, been a t- one of the reasons I do this is I get to talk to all my Twitter buddies that I'd otherwise not get to talk to. I get to do that today. Uh, our buddy Jim Swift's on. He's a senior editor at The Ballwork. You might remember him from the Weekly Standard way back when, when I first started following him. He is a member of Twitter Supper Club in good standing and a defender of all things Ohio online. Jim, how are you, sir? Hey, you know, go, I'm a Browns fan, but go Bengals. Yeah, that's a hard team not to like. Just the way they play, Burrow's great. There's nothing unlikable about him. It's just a fun team to watch and a fun team to root for if you're a neutral like me. Well, and if you're married to a St. Louis and you hate Stan Kroenke in the Rams. Yeah, see, I didn't even so, think about that. Ad so I, I got I got double duty here. You know, Ohio loyalty and family loyalty to not to not like the Rams. So. Yeah, it should be a great game. Looking forward to it. All right. One thing we like to do is we don't just like to cover what's happening. We like to dig into why it's happening. That means understanding how things work. I'll put my hand up. I'm guilty of it. I know you're guilty of it because you write for them too. But we all love to bash on Congress, but we don't stop sometimes and understand how Congress actually works. And you have a piece out at the Bulwark about the congressional staffers. I don't think people realize because I didn't until I started doing the workup for this. You know, we have our Congress critters. We got 100 senators. There's something like 31,000 congressional staffers running around D.C. This is a massive amount of people in our nation's capital that's doing some really important work. That's a good sized city. That's a major university. That's a lot of people, Jim. It is. I mean, it's it's it has its own culture. It's it is. I mean, it, Congress has two zip codes. Uh, there's one for the House, 20510, and one for the, uh, excuse me, 20510 is the Senate, 20515 is the House. Um, and my editor, um, Adam Kuyper, the Bulwark, approached me about this. Um, I did not discover this, this, this Instagram account that I wrote about called Dear White Staffers. It had been written up a lot of places, and Adam worked on the Hill briefly, and I worked on the Hill for five years. 
And he goes, you know, Jim, I really think you should look into this account and write a story about it because you used to be a Hill staffer. I mean, I, I dump on Congress all day now and it's part of my job, but I also used to work for Congress critters, as you call them. Uh, I worked for a senator for four years. I worked for a House member from Kentucky for a year. Um, and uh, so I was I was really interested to write about this account. And I'm, gl- I'm glad you liked the piece. I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. And let's just start there because you were kind of a different era because that was not really the social media and the media environment we live in now. And you talk about a little bit in the piece is one of the reasons we have awareness of these staffers now is they've all got their own social media. They all got their Instagram accounts. They got their own Twitter accounts. We've seen it happen where some staffs have pretty famously blown themselves up over the last few years uh, because of their uh, texting, tweeting, and or otherwise uh, getting their opinion out over top of their bosses, which never goes well in any field, especially politics. Mm-hmm. Talk about that, though, because you were there but this is kind of its own different beast now with the technology and the media environment we're in, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think in, I, in, my, in my piece, I wrote it's a positive thing. I mean, look, social media is a double edged sword. And I think anyone, you know, you can you can pick any industry, you can pick any city of a story about somebody self-immolating on social media and ruining their career. Right. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter where you live. Um, you know, uh, once you once you do something that becomes you know, notable or, or becomes viral, uh, people will find out where you work. They'll complain to your employer. In some cases, they'll get you, quote unquote, canceled. But in a lot of cases, it's also justified, right? You know, I mean, one of the examples I linked to was there were these congressional staffers tweeting out hashtag D2R, December to remember, that they were just getting drunk on the taxpayer dime during daylight hours in their congressional offices. Now, I will I will readily admit to having consumed alcohol in a congressional office before the sun went down. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's not something you should be bragging about. It's not something you should be tweeting about. But like we also weren't drunk. I also worked for a member for from Kentucky and he was the chair of the House uh, Bourbon Caucus. So, um, you know, it's a double edged sword. And back when I started working on the Hill, Twitter didn't really exist until like, oh, eight, Right. And I started in 07. I mean, there was MySpace, there was Facebook. I remember Claire McCaskill, a Missouri senator down the hall. She was tweeting. She was one of the first senators to tweet. And it was horrifying. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now, I worked for a very straight-laced Presbyterian senator from Arizona. Um, We had a Twitter account. All it did was tweet out the press releases. But it became kind of performative over the years. And you see Ted Cruz, for example, these days. I mean, I don't think Ted Cruz wants to be a senator anymore. He just wants to tweet stuff from the Babylon Bee about Joe Rogan. I mean, does this really rise to the level that United States senators should be talking about what private companies do with their contracts? I mean, no, this this is not stuff that government needs to be involved in, but that's stuff that now if you work for a senator, you know, there's almost this expectation that you have to weigh in on it. But what I thought what was really interesting about this Dear White Staffers account is people who don't work on the Hill don't know what it's like. And now these anonymous people are taking... Uh, complaints that previously would have been shared on BlackBerry Messenger or in list servers and whatnot, uh, and they're airing it to the world. And uh, spoiler alert, Congress is not always a great place to work. No. And before we get into the actual issues, though, part of the problems with why it's not a great place to work is things like pay, things like staff size, things like how the intern programs are managed, things like this. This stuff is pretty hard set in stone because Congress writes these things in the law themselves and they haven't really been updated and or changed in a long time, have they? Right. I mean, 
you know, this this account is pushing unionization. We, I'd, I'd like to push that argument to to the side because what they're really doing is uh, highlighting some of these issues that people of color uh, deal with. The Hill is overwhelmingly white, and uh, it is easier to get a job there if you are uh, rich. And in which case, as I said, pretty much white. I mean, it it, it is it, the whiteness of the Hill is astounding. Um, because to become an intern, you you know, if you're lucky to get paid, I mean, back in the day when I worked there, I was never an intern. Interns didn't get paid. They got college credit. Uh, now, D.C. requires that interns get paid. And so they get stipends and all these other sorts of things. But D.C. is a very expensive place to live. And then if you're lucky enough to graduate from an internship into one of these staff assistant entry level jobs back in 2007, my first salary was twenty five grand. Um, and, you know, you fast forward here for 15 years, um, there are people who are still making 30 grand, which is, I mean, forget inflation, that's still nothing. Uh, inflation just exacerbates that. Um, and uh, it, it really is very hard unless you have parental support, you know, to help pay for your rent or, you know, uh, help you just cover the cost of living. Um, People are living pay, pay, paycheck to paycheck and sometimes have to go out and get other jobs uh, like at bars, um, you know, to, to be able to live uh, in, in the city. And it's, it's hard if you're not rich. And, uh, you know, the, the, the folks from the communities of color uh, have a harder time because they're statistically less likely to come from wealthy backgrounds than their white counterparts are. Yeah, talking to Jim Swift about Congress and the staffers. This is actually a problem, though, um, that is wider spread than just Congress, because we talk journalists have been covering this a lot, that the journalism is getting funneled down where you get a lot of people who are more upper income because they just can't afford those entry level jobs or those internships that they used to. We've seen it in higher education. We've seen it in other fields as well. We talk a lot about ideology and biases and politics. But there's some practical bias that comes into when you start narrowing down the field of staffers, and that's going to affect how lawmaking and the staff work gets done when you have that kind of sameness, don't you, just on a practical level? Yeah. And I mean, I, ideology does play a role. You know, I, I was talking to one of my um, former Hill staffer friends who's black for, for this story, and he never interned. But when he graduated from college, he went down and beat down all the doors of Democrats. And he told me that uh, the first person who gave him a job was the only person he worked for out of a sense of loyalty, um, you know, because he was so lucky that he got the job. Ideology does play that role. He was lucky he found a member that whose ideology he liked. I was lucky, you know, at the time that I, I, I applied on a whim for a Senate job, but for a state that I had never lived in and got this job because of my ideology was shared. Now, granted, I don't share much ideology with congressional Republicans much anymore um, because they're not interested in legislating or governing. Um, but when you think about it, it's not that, you know, there are 435 members of the House and Senate. And then if you add in the delegates and non-voting members, it's 441. Um, that doesn't mean that there are 441 offices in which you can work. It's actually a very narrow path um, because people who want to work on the Hill are ideological. They are motivated by their belief systems. Um, you know, uh, a, a super progressive leftist might not work for Kirsten Cinema or Joe Manchin, just like, you know, a conservative uh, kind of middle of the road blue dog Democrat is not going to go work for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, you have to look at it and then start narrowing it, narrowing it down. And then that means that there are even fewer jobs that you could potentially take 
Um, and uh, I really like that this account is sort of shining a light on the bad members of Congress and how the ones who mistreat their staff, that used to be just like the whisper network, but now they're just calling out people publicly. And there's nothing that those legislators can do about it. The, t- the turntables have turned, as Michael Scott said. Yeah. Uh, Technology is a two-edged sword because everybody's got a voice. The good part of that is everybody's got a voice and the bad part is everybody's got a voice. Uh, We're talking to Jim Swift, senior editor of the Bulwark, former staffer himself. He's written about the staffs. When we come back after a quick break, we're going to get into how those staffs actually work, how that's supposed to work in the legislative process, how that's not really happening a whole lot in our Congress right now. And that's why it's the root of a lot of our problems. We'll talk about that with Jim Swift. Hertel comes back right after this. Ah, uh, heard tell show. We're back with Jim Swift. We're talking congressional staffers and offices. All right, we we said staffers, but let's get into the nomenclature how this works because we know there's limits on how many staffers they can have. House offices are capped at like 18, but in reality, they usually have two or three quote unquote pro staffers, and then they have these other levels under them, interns, and then they have other people under that. Just kind of explain to people how a typical congressional office actually works the staff level so that we're all on the same page here. Sure. Uh, Congressional offices are constrained in in part by the member's allowance, their annual budget for how much they can pay folks, right? Now, the federal government will pick up, you know, the health insurance, they'll pick up their thrift savings plan, and eventually, if they serve long enough, their pension. But the first constraint is your top level of how much money you have to spend on things. And that includes envelopes, pens, computers, all this other kind of stuff. But salaries are, of course, the biggest driver because you're not paying rent for your congressional office. Um, You do have district offices. And depending on how gerrymandered or crazy your district is, you could have one or two district offices or you could have four. And, you know, those things could be uh, in a nice strip mall or it could basically almost be like a trailer. I mean, some members of Congress even have RVs for mobile offices that they pay for. Um, but when it comes to your Washington staff, like a house member might have eight or nine or 10, uh, people on their personal office staff, um, because you don't get the bigger offices until you've been there a long time. And even when you get the bigger offices, they're not that much bigger. Um, you know, my, my boss was middle of the road, uh, member of the house ways and means committee. Our office was in Longworth. It was basically three big rooms. We had a room where the chief of staff and the scheduler were, and that's where people would wait. We had the member of Congress's office in the middle, and then we had, you know, the bullpen in the back where me and the LCs, the legislative correspondents, and the fellow legislative assistants who were kind of the mid-senior level policy people had offices. Uh, and there's a little bathroom in there, but these things aren't huge. Now, senators uh, can have uh, upwards of, you know, like 20, 25 people on staff um, because they represent entire states, and senators tend to get um, a, a bigger budget than your, your house member does because they represent a lot more people. Um, I mean, think of Dianne Feinstein, a California senator, uh, and compare uh, what she might need to represent California to Jack Reed, a uh, senator from Rhode Island, which is a very small state. Um, you know, uh, they, they don't tend to have as many staffers there. And Senate staff tend to get paid a little bit better uh, than house staff do, but at the lower rungs, not not by very much. Uh, it's not like you're, you know, making it rain there. Um, and so uh, a lot of it depends on what state or district you represent and how it's drawn and what its needs are. Um, but there are constraints on office space and there are constraints on your budget 
And that all ends up kind of trickling down to how much people get paid. And like I said in my piece, if you want to be a stick in the mud and complain, there are literally 100 people who are willing to take your job the following day and not complain. Yeah. And among other things, you are a DC area liver dweller, however you want to phrase that. This is a very expensive city for people that aren't making a whole lot of money to try to get buy in. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you, you move here. I mean, I remember when I moved here, I had to live in somebody's basement. Now I lived with my buddy for a couple of days until I found a place on Craigslist. And I lived in one of these Lego brick uh, houses from the post pre-World War II era in Alexandria. I lived in someone's basement that I paid $850 a month for. Uh, and uh, I didn't want to take a day off until we got a holiday. And so I literally slept on the floor with a couple of things I bought at Ikea for two months um, until I could get my stuff out of storage and properly move in because um, I didn't want to live with roommates in D.C. Part of that was because I also had a bunch of guns and you couldn't have guns in D.C. really uh, at the time until the Heller decision because um, I'm from the Midwest and I got guns. But yeah, no, it's it's just the housing situation really is a, is a huge problem. And, you know, the Dear White Staffers account pointed out that, you know, one staffer lived in Section 8 housing in very unsafe areas. D.C. has a big problem with crime. I mean, a girl I worked with lived in a nice place, like four blocks from the Capitol. And one night she was trying to get into her apartment and she got mugged with a guy, for, you know, with a brick, you know, and uh, she had to go to the hospital. Um, you know, it's uh, not a lot of fun to have to deal with those things for like 30 grand a year. Um, and uh, that's why a lot of people that Dear White Staffers his profile just said, I got out of the hill. I mean, everyone has a shelf life is how long you can do it. And um, I, I, I really like what they're bringing up because it's a conversation I think we need to have, not just uh, for the minority community, I mean, especially for them, but um, you know, there, there are lots of uh, lower middle-class white folks who wanna work on the Hill too. Um, and really the only people who have it easy on the Hill are rich kids. Yeah, talking to our friend, Jim Swift. All right. Here's the nut of this whole thing, though. We, we love to bash on our members of Congress and senators. Uh, that's kind of the gig. But uh, we also need them to do the job they're sent on a practical level. If they are not getting quality staff, how much exponentially harder does it make an already almost impossible job for them to do what they're supposed to be doing that they're elected to do when they can't get decent staffers because of the living conditions, the wages, whatever it may be, it don't matter. If they're not getting good quality people and they're just getting, you know, the people that can afford to be there is kind of a lark thing, that's bad for the country. Yeah. I mean, you should you should want the best folks. And, you know, just because working on the Hill benefits the rich doesn't mean that these kids are the best. I've worked with a ton of horrible rich kids. I mean, I don't want to sound like Herman Bloom from Rushmore, you know, take dead aim on the rich boys. Um, we should want socioeconomic and uh, racial diversity. Uh, in the legislative branch that helps, you know, as one third of our country's government, we should want those perspectives. I mean, before J.D. Vance, uh, senatorial candidate in Ohio, kind of went insane and went and turned to, you know, Mr. Yale, uh, VC funding, uh, poser, you know, kind of MAGA type, he had an inspiring story of, of, of what he grew up in. And you want the kind of people like J.D. Vance, uh, describes his youth as to try and have a shot at running uh, and working in government. Um, you see what he's kind of had to become the monster as a candidate. And it's sad. I mean, or you think of West Virginia, October Sky, and, and, and those stories of inspiration. You, you want those stories. And they do exist. 
in Congress. Um, but, uh, you know, for every one of those stories, you have 10 people It's like, my dad's a doctor, my dad's a lawyer, you know, my, my dad's an exec or my mom, you know, is a high powered judge or something and money's no object and they just, you know, can float it. And that's why you have this sort of, uh, glut of rich kids. Um, I'm not, I was one of them. I mean, I'm not going to deny that, um, growing up, I, 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 I am one of the rich kids of which I speak. I had it easy. I mean, my parents weren't floating me money, but I had it easier because I didn't have student loan payments. I didn't have all of these other obligations. I was able to make it on my own because my parents made it easy for me to get to that point, whereas other kids didn't have that opportunity. Um, and so maybe I wrote it from, you know, a, a sense of self-guilt, uh, you know, in a way. Um, but uh, it's, it's its own education and we're denying it to a lot of people. And I think that's the importance of this account. Um, is that um, there are problems on the Hill that are systemic, uh, that don't differ from the ones that we deal with in society every day, but uh, there are ones that you only know about if you've ever worked there. Uh, it's sort of like joining a fraternity. You, you have to, you won't know about those unless you've been on the inside. Yeah, we're talking to Jim Swift, his piece out on uh, Hill staffers, dear white people, it's time we listened in the bulwark. Uh, to your point, both of West Virginia's sitting senators, since you brought them up, both are from dynastic political families. The Moore family, uh, Shelley Moore Capital. No offense to either one of them, it just is what it is. Shelley Moore Capital, her father was. Um, you guys had Jay governor. Rockefeller. We had you know. Jay. Well, to his credit, though, I give him a pass because he carpet bagged in. But when you stay 40 years, I think that term no longer applies. So I give Jay. Okay, fair. I give him credit. He stuck it out. Of course, uh, folks don't know if you're a political historian person, if you do not know who A. James Manchin is, you are missing a treat. That is uh, Joe Manchin's uncle, one of the great political figures in the history of America. Just trust me, go read up on him. Fabulous character, uh, interesting guy. But to your point, uh, both West Virginia sitting senators are dynastic. All right. In your piece, how do we fix this? Uh, the people from the account are pushing for unionization. That's its own beast on a couple of levels. You talked about working on the college pipeline, which is kind of what I think they originally designed staffers to be, maybe trying to get back to that. What do you think one of the fixes here on a practical level would be for the staffers? So my problem with unionization is not that I'm a conservative who is skeptic about unions, though that is true. What I write in the piece is the only offices that are likely to unionize are the offices that probably need the benefits of unionization the least. There are, and I was talking with a former Democratic staffer who worked for Harry Reid, and I was just like, can you imagine some of these really bad Democrats like Sheila Jackson Lee? I'm like, can you imagine if Sheila Jackson Lee from Congresswoman from Texas, if her office tried to unionize? And she's like notoriously a bad boss. And uh, we just kind of got a laugh out of that. And so it's like, yeah, the squad's offices would unionize immediately. But, you know, some of these kind of crazier Democrats probably wouldn't. I'm not sure you'd see much unionization on the right, because historically, the right is not very supportive of unions. The best fix, and I, I like what the, the Black Staffers Associations um, came up with. Uh, I don't like the idea of a Rooney Rule uh, 2.0, which is one of these suggestions that, you know, it seems like tokenism. And we have, we've seen how the NFL has dealt with the Rooney Rule. I mean, good, well-intended, but I mean, give, give me a break. Um, I like this idea of a pipeline from historically black colleges and universities um, may not help Republicans as much because I, I'm not sure Howard has a turning point USA chapter um, <laughs> there. Um, but one of the things that I think that probably stands a greater chance of success is Congress gets to make its own rules. Senate can make its rules. The House gets to make its own rules. And that's under the Constitution. 
rather than unionization, I think that these folks should push their leadership uh, to come up with uh, minimum living wages for staff positions. Now, of course, Congress being Congress, they'll find ways around it. But there should be a figure that we can all agree upon that a entry level staff assistant should make that a legislative correspondent, these are people who look at your emails and the letters you write and the phone calls you make asking what your your boss's position is. These are the people who write those and take meetings with constituents. That stands, I think, a much better chance of success at improving the lives of these young folks fresh out of college. Um, Not everyone has it bad, not even, you know, you know, rich kids aside, some offices are really great and care about making sure that people can make a living. Others aren't. Um, Unionization is only going to help those that are already doing pretty well um, office-wise. So I think this sort of coming up with living wage thresholds for staff positions is something that, uh, you know, more so the House than probably the Senate can consider, um, you know, to, to, uh, to help people want to stay and move up uh, the rungs on the ladder uh, in, in, in Congress. Yeah. Jim Swift, we appreciate the time talking about how the Congress actually works when we're throwing bricks at the TV. We at least understand there's some staffers behind the scenes that are working really hard to get things done. Uh, let folks know what you've been doing on your social media. Uh, you are got a great newsletter that I read every day. Uh, always has some good little tidbits in it, although it is way too uh, homerish on Ohio matters, but we'll forgive you that one. Let folks know sure. where they follow you on social media and what you got going on at the ballpark and other places. Yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Jim Swift DC. Um, and I, I have a newsletter that comes out every weekday at the Bulwark. It's the only free one that we have. That's always free called overtime. I highlight all the stuff we do at the Bulwark, which, you know, we're conservative or Republican, never Trumpers. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're out in our own little wilderness out there. Um, I highlight all of our stories and our podcasts and things that we do there. And then uh, I have a little section that's a little potpourri section of interesting things, um, that I, that I've read around the internet that I think you should read. Um, so it doesn't cost anything, uh, head over to the bulwark.com. You can, uh, click on, uh, subscribe and, uh, you can, you can get it, uh, for free. Uh, otherwise we're 10 bucks a month and we have a bunch of, uh, interesting stuff, but, um, you know, let, let me be your, uh, your, your guide into what we do. And if you like what we do, uh, we've got more of it for you. Uh-huh. My friend, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your recipes on Twitter Supper Club. And uh, for one week only, I'll be with you. I think I'm going to pull for the Bengals. Jim Swift, appreciate you, my friend. Good stuff on the piece. And I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.